Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Valerie Hope. Welcome to Time to Come Alive. I'm your host. I'm your coach. I'm your neighborhood talker. <laughs> the talker. I feel like I have the, the coolest opportunity to have interesting conversations with people, people that I know, people that I've met recently. But all in all, the conversations are an opportunity for us to be more conscious about ourselves, to get connected to others, and then therefore have the opportunity to create. And this today is no different. In a moment, I'll introduce today's very special guest. But before we get started, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, please feel free to share this on your timeline so you can really spread the message to others, engage them in conversations so that you can better connect with them. And those, those of you who are gonna be joining us here live as well, Think of who you might want to invite to come and join as well. That way they can ask questions, they can hear the message, really talking about teams that thrive, especially under some very difficult circumstances. Now, as we like to begin all of our sessions, this is an opportunity to get centered and grounded in what we're going to talk about. So I invite you, if you're in a place that you can either sit comfortably or stand comfortably, some of you might find it helpful to close your eyes or soften your gaze so that you can really gaze inward, think inward. I just want you to take a couple of breaths. And as you do, just make sure you're relaxing your head, your neck, your shoulders. Ground in and center into wherever you're sitting or standing. And as you're breathing, I want you to think to a time where you've experienced a challenge. It might be a challenge in your career. Perhaps it was a challenging relationship. Maybe it was a physical challenge, emotional challenge you were going through. And remember all the emotions that came up or that have been coming up as a result of that challenge. Perhaps fear, perhaps anger, maybe sadness, confusion, whatever emotion was there at the moment. And as you're thinking through that, that situation and those emotions, think about the moment the lights went on. Perhaps you had an insight Perhaps you received some wisdom from a trusted colleague. Perhaps your experience and your knowledge rose to the surface. What did it take to get out of that situation? What did it take to manage the emotions that could have taken you out, that could have shifted the tide so that you could right the ship? I just want you to think of whoever that person or that resource was and send it gratitude. Gratitude for the experience and gratitude for the resource or the knowledge or the insight that helped you resolve the emotion. All right, take a couple of more deep breaths. And when you're ready, you may refocus your gaze, open your eyes, and come back to us. All right, welcome back. 
I, I can't say enough about this guest that we have today. He's a, I consider now a friend. We didn't start off as friends. He was my boss <laughs> many years ago. I met Jonathan Chaplow back in 2006. And Jonathan, you may not remember any of this, but I will share that the first time I met you, I didn't realize you were coming in for an interview or the final interview I believe you were coming in for because I hadn't been in the office and you know, the information that was shared with me was minimal. I knew that we had some management trainees coming in for a tour and understanding what we did in human resources. So when you first came in the office, and because I'm probably a, a head taller than you, <laughs> I was like, oh, here's our new management trainee. Nice to meet you. Then where are you from? And, and little did I know <laughs> that later that day, they said, oh, he's going to be your new boss. I was like, oh, messed <laughs> <I> up. <laughs> Anyhow, um, what I, so beyond that first impression, and I hope that wasn't terrible for you, but beyond that first impression, I remember the first impact that you had on me. And one of the reasons that I value you to this day so much, although it's been <laughs> 10 years now that we've known each other plus, that one week, that, that first week that you come in to work, we'd been up to that point planning some management training. I was the training manager and had this whole thing set up. It was supposed, it was supposed to like revolutionize our managers learning and their operational skills. And we had it, it was built top to bottom. Our HR director at the time wanted to make sure that was in place before the new person came in and didn't have to deal with it. Well, little did he know that when Pablo sat behind the desk and asked, so what's going on with this manager training? What are we doing? And I heard with you and you like blew it up. <laughs> no, no, we're not doing that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And what I loved about it was that you really focused and you taught me the importance of focusing on the character ethic. You're a huge fan of Stephen Covey and you talked about him a lot. And everything that you had us do and the way that you had me reframe that entire training, that it was not just about the skill set, it wasn't just about the operational knowledge and procedures and policy. It was really about teaching people to be a leader from the inside. Just completely changed the game for me. And I just, I just want I don't know if I ever shared how much I appreciated being challenged that way. And I saw the depth of impact that we could have on human beings because of that example, that it was never too early, never too late to make a huge difference. So that's my biggest memory of Jonathan Chapla. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. You know, um, yes, you are a head taller than me. <laughs> And I think now my gray maybe pushes the age up uh, significantly more. Um, but, you know, it's funny because I do remember that. I, I remember coming in and, like, breaking, like, rule number one when you're new to a position. Never change anything unless it's absolutely critical. You know, get, wait till trust is built. And I remember saying to myself, like, oh, my gosh, I, I oh, I'm going to blow this up in my first week or two here and do something totally different. Um, but I, I, you know, to your point, it's, it was, it was, and it is such uh, an important thing for me as a, as a human resources professional. Awesome. There you go. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear All right. you. All right, there we go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Broke up just a tad. Go. 
Okay, yeah, no, I was just saying it's, it was very important for me to, to start my impression on the new environment with an understanding that uh, the person is more important, more important than the skill set. You know, and, and, you know, it's kind of easy to say in general, generalities, but, you know, at the end of the day, most of what we do in the hotel business, uh, for most of us, um, is, could be a, a learned skill. But character and, and who people are, um, that's longer, more challenging to develop in a shorter span, but most importantly, what people need to realize when they come into a work environment is that integrity is, is really the highest level of, uh, of personal challenge. That's interesting you say that because it's not something, especially nowadays, as sophisticated as we become with learning and with teaching skills, the focus is not necessarily on character building. We think that that's kind of like a pre-install, that like you bring in someone that has the character, you interview for character. Uh, I do want to give some people context. We, you and I work together at the Hyatt Regency DFW here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm still in the Dallas area living here. You're now in? College Station. Station. There we go. You're the HR director, human resources director for Texas A&M Hotel and Conference Center, right? Yes, that is correct. There's hospitality definitely in the house today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, and really, one of the things, you just said it that you know, teaching integrity. So I'm curious, what had you think about that being the focus of how you led and develop people versus some of the skills? Like, where did you come, where did that come from? Yeah, well, I, I think it, it probably started for me all the way back when, you know, I first started to look at some sort of work in my life. Uh, so my parents, uh, really encouraged my brother and my sister and I to to get out as early as we can and get jobs and things of that sort. So yeah, I started working at a Boy Scout camp and uh, moving up from those experiences. Uh, everything for me was don't do something because you have to. Don't do something because you have to have a job. Uh, my my parents were very big on find what you like to do and, and do it and see if you can get paid for it. Uh, my father was a uh, local attorney. I had his own firm with his father. Uh, after my grandfather retired, he, he bought on a couple partners. Um, yeah, he was Wells in real estate. And fortunately, he was the only attorney in, in town, really, that most folks felt comfortable going to because he was a, a person of high integrity. And, and I remember talking with him as I was getting to the age of, Wait, where, do you, where do you want to go in what direction? And I, I said, you know, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in law. And, you know, I, I, I believe in the right thing. And I believe in doing the right thing and, and helping people along. And, you know, you obviously followed your father's footsteps. And, you know, what are your thoughts about me following yours? And before I can really finish the word yours, he said, don't do what I did. I followed the dream that I thought I should follow as opposed to my dream. And he said, if you want to go into law, he said, I will support you a hundred percent, but first find out who you are and what you want to do, how you want to hold yourself in your life, what's most important to you. And then try to find the work that really supports all of that. 
so that you'll be happy going into work and not feel like you're, you know, living for a weekend or, or six o'clock or seven or five, whatever people define around uh, work hours. So that, that was huge for me is what is it you like to do? And, and I, I genuinely uh, really enjoy people. I, I love people. I love making people happy. I'm a servant's heart. I'm the person that would rather hold a party, go to a party. Um, you know, it's, well, we remember your parties. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, that brought me to that understanding that, you know, who people are inherently um, are, are important to me. And when we talk about the business that, that I do, um, you know, hospitality, uh, it's, it's about building relationships quickly uh, with people so that they trust you. And, you know, we hear the sayings that some of our most loyal guests are, are those that we failed, but it was how we recovered from that failure that's developed that, that trust and, and that I will go no other place except there because I want to work for them or, sorry, I want to, I want to stay at that hotel. They're going to take great care of us. We all make mistakes, but how do you recover from those mistakes? And that led to a, a real understanding, appreciation of what trust is about. You know, at the end of the day, we are, I think we're a species that want to be respected and appreciated and valued for who we are, no matter how different we are. And if we like potatoes and we like tomatoes, well, here you go. Here's your tomatoes. I can do that for you. You know, it's, I'm not changing who I am, but I'm respecting who you are with the tomatoes. So, you know, serve dinner up. Here's your tomatoes. <laughs> and and, and tomato. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it leads to uh, Marcus Buckingham and, um, you know, strength finders and things of that sort. You know, I, I'm a big fan of, of their approach to the workplace because, you know, they, they say, uh, he did a recent um, broadcast about you know you can't you can't tell someone what uh, what perfect is for them well there's nothing perfect but you can't tell them what is excellence uh, and, he, and he goes on to say if you try to define excellence a certain way and and put people into that category you know you're you're not really giving them the opportunity to be the excellence that they are and you know, he def- it makes an example of, you know, Robin Williams, you know, he's a hilarious comedian, was a hilarious comedian, you know, but you take a look at someone like Sarah Silverman or Stephen Wright or Tim Conway or, or Bob Newhart, Carol Burnett, you know, all different comedians in their own. And they were all excellence to the highest level because that was who they are and defining somebody and what we see as excellence is so unfair because excellence is from within. And we, we have to bring that excellence out in people. And the only way to really be able to do that is to understand them and build that trust with them so that they're able to, to share more about who they are and, and, and to make themselves more vulnerable, make themselves more open to uh, different work environments that they might might not realize is really what they need to, to fully blossom. Um, so that, that's kind of how long answer on how I, uh, how I got to where, you know, I did where it was looking more at, at developing that internal 
within a person and not so much a skill set. Well, thank goodness for your parents and that advice. My favorite quote is from Howard Thurman. He says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs are more people who have come alive. Yes. Title of the show, Time to Come Alive. Yeah, love it, love it. You said something really interesting about how to bring the excellence out in other people. And that's one of the main things that I wanted to talk to you about because I remember distinctly some of the most uncomfortable, dare I say, fearful, dark times happened while I was working with you, not because of you, but because, of, because of the economic, the economic depression that we had. Like 2008, at the time I was a recruiter or in our, in our team, HR team, and I remember on a Friday you brought me in and said that, Hey, we're having to make some changes in, in, our, in our team. And, you know, because of the economy, you won't have a job <laughs> come the beginning of next year. And you, I'm sure, said it much nice, much more nice. I hope so. But this was in December. And I remember the next day we had an a employee holiday party that I was the MC for. That was probably the hardest gig I ever had, knowing that I might potentially be out of a job and still have, like, <laughs> Break a piñata <laughs> and give out prizes. But, but that, that downturn that we had did something very special, I think, in the team. And I want to just point out a couple things, and I want to hear your perspective, because I'm very clear about my experience. But I, I don't know what was going on in your mind and your heart during that time. So a couple things, just for context. When we had that conversation, a very difficult one, I may, I may add for myself, and I'm sure for you too, I actually ended up talking to some of my family members and saying, well, what should I do? Should I start looking for something else? I don't really want to leave. I don't want to leave Hyatt. I don't want to leave Dallas area. And a, my very wise brother and said, you know, you always talk about these strengths and strength finders, right? Back to your point about Marcus Buckingham. Maybe you should talk about that, what you bring in. He said, well, the only job that he has available is this job as assistant HR director, which I don't really want, but I don't want to leave. Uh, anyway, so having a conversation with you about that job was a whole, it was a game changer for me because I all of a sudden had to fight for something I didn't really, really want, but somehow I wanted to stay there. And man, I'm so glad I did, Jonathan. I learned so much in that year and a half from you and the team. It was the best team that I've worked with. And in a short period of time, you did some pretty magical things. So I'm just curious, and I, this is enough about my side of the story, but I, I wanna hear from you, what was it like having to make the changes that you had to make, the decisions that you had to make, when things externally were, were looking pretty bleak? Right. Uh, well, first, thank you for that. That's, uh, that means a lot to me. Valerie, and uh, you've expressed that to me before in the past in one form or another, but to hear it from you, um, that really does mean a lot because um, you're, you're pretty special, as, uh, as, as I've told you. You know, I, I think at the time, what was so difficult was the uncertainty of what was happening, and we, we didn't realize then that it was going to be the Great Recession, you know, just a recession. Um, but a lot of change too. You know, the company we were with, we were with, um, had gone public, and you know we started to see some changes with it. And 
Um, you know, when companies go public, things are, are almost inevitable. It's, it's how it's managing those things. Uh, so we're watching that and, and seeing some change, but uncertain. And the team that we had around us was all very different, very unique, um, but also some great potentials. And we, we were having to adjust to the times. And I, and I think that's kind of what led us to uh, looking at how we can manage it differently. You know, there was obviously some downsizing that we had to do and it was saying, okay, if it takes, if we've had seven or eight people to do something before, you know, how can we get the same results or better results with four or five? And, you know, it really does come back to that all right, let's let people work in their excellence. You know, if you're working in your excellence, if you're working doing what you love to do and what you really enjoy doing, then that natural productivity will be exponentially higher. And that's, I think, how we, we ended up going the, the direction we did is we found that for each of us. Yeah, I don't know if you remember how that went down, but that was, that was pretty phenomenal. But I just want to tease out a couple of things that you said. One is that you really, in spite of all the, the stuff that was happening in the business, because not all the leaders were thinking this way, Jonathan. Not, not all your peers were okay, right, to do something different. <laughs> right. From, from, from the jump, from day one when I first met you, I figured that that's, that's a Jonathan brand. You're just going to do something different. <laughs> so that's number one, I think. And that's important to note because when the tide is all moving in one direction and you decide, wait a hang on a second. No, I want to go this way instead, or I want to bring out the best in people, which was really tough when people, there was so much fear and uncertainty around people's livelihoods. Right. Um, I, I, I want to come back to this before we move into the next piece, but what was it like for you to be in your circle of peers, other directors, doing something different, perhaps even more different than they were, even considering doing? Yeah, um, good question. I, I think I have to go back to high school and through college um, to understand that question. Um, something that has always been, well, what, my top five strengths in, in, in Gallup or strength finders, you might recall, uh, one was individualism. Um, you know, we had achiever, relator, empathy, and, and focus. But my number one strength is individualization, of course, is being able to look at someone as the individual they are. So growing up through junior high school and high school, I was, I was the jock, you know, I was the captain of the football swim and tennis team, you know, I, I was, I was in the drama club, I was in the ski club, I was the athletic association. Uh, I hung out with burnouts, but I hung out with the geeks and, you know, the AV people I, I, as part of the AV club, all, all those different things. And, and I, I eventually got to a point where I was really an advocate for accepting people for, for who they are. I, got, I can remember sitting in one of my fraternity meetings and, and someone mentioning, you know, a person in the, in the drama club who was gay because he had earrings. 
So I went, went back into my room and I pushed an earring through my ear and I sat down at the meeting and yeah. And, and I said, okay, does this mean I'm gay? And, you know, and, and sometime later, the same type of context of a conversation similar to that came up and, you know, they said it was because he had two earrings. I went and pushed another earring and then it, Sometime later as well, it was in both ears. So I, pushed, so I had three earrings in my ears to try to tell my brothers, you know, how stupid of it, of how stupid we can be when we have those stereotypes and we're not accepting people for who they are just because we're looking at them and passing judgment on them without getting to know them. So that's always been such an important part of, of who I am, what I do is to embrace people for for who they are, and as I moved into positions of leadership is recognizing the potential of what those people's strengths are or, or what, what those people are so good at to kind of fit them into this weaved team of excellence or at least as close to excellence as we can based on what they're good in and what they like to do. Wow. That's, first of all, Pushed earrings in, <laughs> like you created a hole. I, I I don't really remember how I did it. I probably froze it with an ice cube. I don't know. It was just wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, this this is a very small indication of this <laughs> the length that you would go to to defend someone else. I think that that demonstrates yeah. pretty well. Oh um, yeah. So how when in, in the workplace? So I get. Obviously, in a in a school environment, there's a lot of peer pressure and wanting you know, social social support is really important at that level and at that age. And I imagine that when you get older and you enter a professional in the, in the workforce, is no different. Although people do distinguish themselves a little bit more, the tendency is generally to kind of move alongside your brothers or sisters in this case in the workplace. What was it like making decisions that perhaps went against even the values or the experience of your peers? Yeah. Um, again, good question. And it comes back to what um, I, I guess what I've built all this on is that do what you want to do. Be happy with what you do. And Hyatt is an awesome company. It was it was and it continues to be one of the most highly ranked companies for uh, valuing diversity for you know a highly engaged workforce um, just an excellent place that that did just that accepted people to be different and at a senior level to to have the confidence that you can create something different and, and do something different uh, without there being some sort of uh, kickback or backlash as long as it was intelligent and, and thought through and it had some some basis for rationale uh, it hides very embracing of it um, so it really helped me step out you know and part of what what this was is just as I pushed these earrings through my ears you know in my fraternity party I, I knew that I could eventually get to where um, I needed to be with helping people understand that that this direction might be different, but let's give it a try. You know, let, let's, let's prototype it. You know, I love to use that word prototype. Somehow people say, okay, 
Prototype means I can always go back to it. Yes, we can. Um, and, that, and that's a lot, of, I think, of how I uh, felt confident in being able to do things that were outside of the box just because, you know, I knew I could always go back, but people, people realized that there's other resources that could help support if it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. This is it's so great. I, and I, man, I was really lucky that you had this <laughs> particular mindset. Close <laughs> to you that I become your assistant HR director. And it was like, well, you never wanted this job. You're not interested. I'm going to, you told me very clearly that you wanted someone that you could groom into becoming an HR director, which I had been clear that I wasn't interested in. Right. So that, that whatever I, when I presented my strength to you and I told you, hey, this is how you've seen that. This is how you will see them in this role, and you still gave me a shot. I think is a testament to your being able to say, "Okay, let's give this, let's give this a try." I think I made you. You could not refuse. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're jumping on my arm. <laughs> please, please. Uh, but beyond that, you know, you talk about bringing out the excellence in other people. We had at the time before that downturn, you had a team, I believe, of six, and we. We went, we downsized to four. And I do remember distinctly that because my role as a recruiter had me somewhat removed from the group, it was a little challenging to come in and find my way or find my my spot, as well as then be leading the team, right? Be be your number two. And and you did some pretty in, interesting things, even in that dynamic, because what we ended up doing is looking at our engagement scores and noticing that there were some opportunities for us to be even more connected and build trust, but also to do the best work that we knew to do. And, and so you allowed me to bring in strength finders into the workplace. And one thing I think that you did extremely well, which are a lot of organizations that do assessments or that read a book or that have some training. One of the things that I think you did well is you didn't just take the concepts and go, hey, cool, we had a two-hour training, yay. You literally started having us live by them. These were continuous conversations. It wasn't just like a one-shot thing. What, what made you or what has you do that? Because there's a lot of leaders that bring in new ideas, but how do you take that idea and weave it into how you operate? Yeah. Well, it's like everything else. And, you know, when we're – enlightened of a higher principle. Um, it's incumbent on us to, to live it, you know? You can't take the candy from your little brother, period. I want it, but you can't. So you have to live it. So I think part of it for me is um, making sure that whatever I introduced or whatever I bought forward was something that I was, A, really believing in believed it. I had to understand it and believe it. Um, And B was understanding the importance of the discipline and dedication to applying whatever it was to follow that course. Um, You know, how many of us will will, read a book or, or sit through an excellent presentation, enlightening presentation, but not build into what we do moving forward, you know, the 20 of a habit. Um, what is it that we need to do to really reinforce what we're what we're doing? Um, and that's that 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 focus part of my strengths. It, 
staying focused on point to what is most important. And, um, you know, I think finding what I loved and finding what I love about people and helping them work within that uh, really helped in, in creating those grooves. I, I refer to, you know, things at work are like drawing a saw across a, a board to cut a board. And if we draw a saw, a saw across the board a couple times, a couple pulls, we'll get a groove and then we can move quicker and deeper into our, into our, our thrusts. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes when we are at work, it's kind of like a hacksaw. If you've ever used a hacksaw, you have to, you know, you have to pull it across the, the metal, you know, 10 or 15 times harder and longer than you do a, a piece of wood because it's that much more difficult. And I like I'll think to myself, okay, is this is this a piece of metal or is it a piece of wood? Because if it's a piece of metal, it's going to take me, you know, ten times as hard to invest myself, or if not invest myself, getting someone else to do it. You know, putting putting a person who is creative and and free thinking and free flowing into a very structured and and specific work environment is like a hacksaw. You know, it's asking that person to, to do so much of what doesn't come natural to them, which they're not happy in. Do I really want to have that person do that? Or can I find something that that person would do that would be more free-flowing, free-thinking, free-building um, uh, than structured left-brain type of task for someone else? <laughs> I, I was that person. <laughs> 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 that was working the hacksaw. <laughs> and yes, I told, I remember, and I actually remember when uh, Fernando Santana, and I'm going to shout out to him, <laughs> came by the office one day, and I'd been in these very left brain activities for long stretches of time, closed doors, payroll stuff, counseling, a lot of things that were out of my nature. I had to work twice, three, four times as hard sometimes. To stay focused on it. I remember he came by one day and he looked at me. He said, "You're like a caged lion that's been chained." Yeah. And it almost made me cry when he said that because I felt it. You know, it was just hard working through metal, like you said, and making those changes is really emotionally difficult. But what you did, and I think this is the brilliance of having worked with you in that environment during that time, is we, you and I, had a very, you know great relationship where I could just come in and say, hey, Jonathan, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think? Can we do this? Can we do that? And you helped me find ways in which I could bring out a piece of wood and really saw wood as opposed to metal all the time. And that gave me, you know, you like to talk about giving people oxygen, which I want you to talk about because I think that's such a great analogy. But I had the opportunity in more occasions because of that shift in our in the way that you allowed me to work and in that mindset that you had where I could do things that were within my strengths more often. And that helped energize me to the levels where, oh yeah, hacksaw, metal, I got this. Because yeah. to sharpen the other side so much. So yeah. that's meant to that particular mindset being really effective. Mm. Talk about the, the giving people oxygen. One of your, your gifts you mentioned is empathy and your emotional intelligence and how use it to lead, especially in difficult situations. Can you share a little bit about how that analogy of uh, giving people oxygen works? Yeah, sure. 
Um, yeah, I think I think this is a Covey thing. Um, but you know, we talk about a person. One of the most important things that they want is respect and dignity, um, regardless of circumstances. Accept me for who I am. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, is appreciate me, respect me, who I am. Don't judge me. Don't look at the color of my skin. Don't look at the shape of my eyes. Don't, you know, my gender preference, whatever it is. Don't judge me based on any of those. You know, talk to me, get to know me, learn me. You don't have to necessarily like me, but accept me and appreciate the fact that I'm different. Um, and we, we talk about this in New Higher Orientation about how that could become so powerful and so motivating that when we don't give someone that respect and appreciation, when we don't give that individual the understanding that they are unique and while I might not, you know, I might not follow Christianity, I might not follow Judaism, Hinduism, whatever it is, I still appreciate the fact that you are a Muslim and I can learn from that. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm, 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 I'm becoming Muslim, it's understanding and appreciating you. When we don't do that to each other, when it's not done for us, that's a barrier. And that barrier can become so tall and so obtrusive that it can be an all-consuming thought. Of course, that's where we have our, our great movements that we see today. Black Lives Matter, um, not me. These are movements that are so powerful because that respect and dignity isn't shared. And it will become all-consuming in so many cases where people very rational people can do irrational things because it is so disturbing to them. And it's like oxygen. If you suck all the air out of a room, you know, and in due time, you know, some people, maybe non-smokers will be a little bit longer than smokers. But at some point, every one of us will have one thing on our mind and it is to get oxygen. And someone can tell us that, Hey, Push the button underneath the chair you're sitting in, and you'll be a you'll be a billionaire. You know that's all you need to do is push the button. If we are at that point where the oxygen is is so depleted, we won't hear anything except ourselves saying, "I need to get air. I need to get air. I need to get air." And that's where that respect can become such a powerful drive. That once someone gives it to you, once someone says to you, "I hear you." I hear you and I respect you. And what I hear is this. And they reaffirm it and they speak it back and they do it in a non-judgmental way, but just in an understanding way. It is like oxygen. You know, it's, it's when you're at the bottom of the pool or you know, if you're snorkeling and you go down too deep and you're swimming for the surface and you're looking up, you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to make it? And you're like, oh, you start to panic. But you break the water into the air and you take one or two gulps, you're okay. It doesn't take a lot of time. One gulp is usually all, but one or two, you're now back to your rational self. And that's, I think we all are when we're, when we're passionate about the respect that we need and that we, we expect from people, that as soon as we get it, okay, let's talk again. What were you saying? What's under? Yeah. 
you know, but we need that first. And, and we all have to recognize that everyone is in some sort of state with oxygen. And it's our jobs to, our jobs, our responsibility to recognize where it is with everyone that we're interacting how much it's incumbent on me to make sure that you know I truly do respect you. So I need to feed you that oxygen on a regular basis. I like that. And about the brain science, right? We just cannot engage the part of our brain that is the best decision maker, right? that, that executive center, when we're in survival mode, when we're right. flight or freeze, there's no way that we have the clarity of, the, of mind or the ability to really think in the future. Right? We're talking about meeting a need right away. And what you're pointing to is connect with the need of that individual, whether or not you agree or disagree with what it is that they're looking for or asking for, or how they're going about it. But just being able to acknowledge that they have a need and being able to speak to it is enough for them to go, okay, I've been heard or I've been seen, and you get me. And right. then can engage the part of the brain that allows for more logical, rational conversation that you can make a decision based on that rather than just the, that survival instinct. Sure. Well, you, you know, I think too along that lines, Valerie, is that that's really just the foundation. You know, that's to establish the foundation to start building trust because that's really the key, right? That's really the, the, uh, the, the, the thing that holds it all together is trust. I certainly can't trust someone that's not gonna respect me. But once I know respect is there, then I build trust. And when I'm building trust with an individual, that trust becomes a relationship where one person can feel even more and more vulnerable, which of course is the, the vulnerability uh, a leadership style um, of really getting people to be truly vulnerable so that all those walls fall down and they can really can share and expose uh, so that you know a, a leader can then say okay got it understand that that this is what you're thinking and feeling this is this is where you're saying you need some help in or you're not good at well good to know because maybe what I can do is find a resource over here to help you or to supplement for that, uh, which was, uh, as I recall, a little bit about what we were doing in, in uh, our situation back then is that, okay, this is not something that you like to do. So let's not focus on giving you things that would require you to do that. Let's give you enough to, to get through of what, what's required. Share mm -hmm. that with someone else on the team who has a real strength and who can take one quarter the amount of time to do it and actually like it than someone else struggling through just to, just to check it off the list. Yeah. Oh, bless their hearts, Melissa and Danielle. <laughs> they, yes, I think that that's one of the ways that I learned, and not just learned because of the concept. I think I understood the concept of working in teams and really being able to pull something out of the fire. But having the experience of it, like not just the exposure, but the experience of what is it like to work with a group of people who all honor, respect each other's strengths. There was right. no, there was no, uh, there's no, what do you call that? Uh, we didn't have the judgment or the evaluation that this strength is better than this one. 
it wasn't even positional, although all of us had key responsibilities. The fact that you knew that, you know, if I was great with coming up with ideas and Danielle was great at putting together an agenda or process that, okay, let's pair these two together, come up with some ideas that she can then put into a process. Hey, Melissa, you're fantastic at taking something and getting it done on the cheap, but getting it done <laughs> fast. Right. Let's right. bring her in. And I thought you did really good in helping us respect each other. You not only created that for yourself and your relationships with each of us individually, but creating an environment where we saw that that was, this is how we're going to work. Right? Um, I want to come back to something, you know, we talked about this idea of giving people oxygen, that dignity and respect, but as a leader, how do you, let's look behind the curtain a little bit. How do you create that environment for yourself? How do you put that oxygen mask on yourself so that you're able to think clearly so you're able to allow and empower others. What, what do you do? Hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is good. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I think I would maybe answer that with understanding or at least speaking some more about why that's so important, you know. In our personal lives, we we have our relationships. We have our partners. We have our, our 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 close friends. We have our family. And when our family, friends, or partners does something to us, they disrespect us, or you know something happens, um, we're forgiving most of the time. You know, if it becomes abusive or, or excessive, then you know we might walk away from a friendship, or you know we might put distance and, and family, but in the end, those closest to us, we're, we're much more forgiving mm -hmm. um, when something bad happens because we know that, you know, yeah, he, he didn't really mean to do that or she didn't really mean to do that, so we're accepting of it. Um, and I think I've, uh, over the years, I've, I've recognized that in the workplace, it is so different. Um, because our relationships in the workplace are so fickle. Uh, we have to work so much harder to maintain relationships in the workplace because at the end of the day, an individual that's disrespected in the workplace, um, they can't just walk away. I mean, they can, they can just quit, right? But that's the rice bowl, you know? And they're more apt to just put up with someone and, and deal with it because they have to. This is their, their rice bowl, their, their livelihood. Um, and relationships can deteriorate to, to in one form or another. So we have to work even harder in the workplace to, to give air, to, to show that respect, to show the appreciation that you know, we have for each other. And that when we, when we make mistakes, that we not just own them, but we, we really raise our hand quickly and we talk about them so that people see the level of honesty that we're, we're trying to, to project in our workplaces to keep those relationships strong. Um, so I, I think maybe the answer to your question is that I'm always very sensitive about how people are, are perceiving me and my intent. And if my intent isn't to, to, to make things better for other people, and my intent isn't to truly show them the respect and dignity, 
then I'm I'm just a facade. I'm I'm a you know I'm just a, a, a puppet, you know, who's just speaking a good game, but truly my integrity isn't there. So I think it's kind of answering those questions of, you know, am I really the person that I should be to be able to keep the trust with people at work? Can you share a time where you've had to make that decision, when you've had to be conscious of that choice that, hey, maybe right now I'm not working in the integrity that I hold myself to, or I have to now take other actions that may not align with how you want the other person to experience you? Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a, I, I, I felt that at some point in time that my career was no longer moving in the direction that I wanted it to in the sense of the work environment. Um, so much so that when certain things happened um, that I was asked to, uh, to, to make happen as a director of HR, it started to contradict what I felt an HR professional or, or leader should do. We have a responsibility to the core of what uh, our companies are about. And that was becoming compromised. And it was happening on a gradual basis, but it, it got to a point where, um, you know, something was put in front of me that I said, I don't want to do this and, and I won't. So it was said to me, okay, when maybe it's time to do something different. Um, and I said, no, because at the end of the day, if it's here or there or across the state or across the country, it's still not what I believe we should be doing. Um, so it was a, a big change for me. You know, I had to reevaluate what was most important in my life and going back to my my father and really my mother's uh, advice too was, you know, if you're not happy in what you're doing, if you don't feel good about what you're doing, uh, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, and that was that was tough, big change for me. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm able to look back at it and say, yeah, I'm really, really glad I did it. I can hear how important it's been over time for you to be. Your parents really were the ones to try drive this in, but to be conscious of yourself, of your, to be aware of your emotions, to be aware of your ideas, to be aware of your values, and always use that as a measuring stick for decisions that you've had to make or positions that you've had to take in different situations. Yeah. You have children, you know, they're all getting, they're much more mature now <laughs> and not moving into different areas of life. How are you sharing what you've learned and what you're learning so that your children have that measuring stick that your parents gave you? Yeah. Um, well, you know, being raised by uh, baby boomers and being a, a year or two into Generation X, I think I was more baby boomer than X. Uh, the relationship I had with my parents was one of great respect and appreciation. They loved me. And they 
they did anything and everything for me. But there was always a, a, a relationship of mom and dad, me. <laughs> so with my kids and, and just, you know, growing through our generations, I worked very difficult to, to talk and to make sure that my kids understood their own emotions, particularly, you know, I have two boys and a girl. My girl is the oldest. She's now a senior, about to graduate from Texas A&M. <laughs> and, uh, my 18-year-old or 19-year-old who's starting college next year, and uh, finally my 17-year-old who's going to be a junior. I worked very hard with them to help them understand that, that, that private place within us, that we have conversations, not just daily, hourly, or, or by the minute, but really by the second. Everything that we're going to do, we have a, a conversation with ourselves and what's the right thing to do. And if we're always trying to think about what it is the right thing to do based on outside circumstances, then um, we're failing because we have to know what the right thing to do is. And if we don't know what the right thing to do is, we have to go seek out those answers from people that we respect and trust and, and hope, and, and no, not hope, but know will help us understand what the right thing to do is. Um, so really trying to communicate with my kids in such a way that one, they're aware of that place uh, but two, talk about all the time in a, in a non-judgmental way of you're, you're, that they're making those decisions. They're having those conversations, those decisions on a daily basis. And, you know, yeah, it's easy to say I'm not going to steal or I'm not going to fight or I'm not going to hurt intentionally, but that doesn't necessarily make you a good person. Mm -hmm. A good person is that when you know the highest level of right and wrong and you live it. You know, like how many people actually drive the speed limit? You know, I, I had that's a rhetorical question, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have this conversation with myself all the time, and you know, I, I there's a, a great app called um, EverDrive, which I, I actually ended up getting for me to help my kids understand their driving. So it's a it's an app that's always running in the background, and whenever you're driving, it will send out a report to you, to your email, once you've parked the car, it'll say, were you driving? Yes or no. And someone else was driving you, obviously say no, but yes, I was driving. And it says, okay, out of five stars, this is how many stars you got for speeding, for cornering, for braking, for acceleration, um, for phone use. And it, it just teaches you to be a, a smarter, better driver. And of course, this is one of the, the, the types of applications that, you know, Progressive and Geico and other insurance companies use now to, to help lower your rates because it really does teach you how to drive. And to come back to the miles per hour conversation, <coughs> excuse me, it was funny because I was using this because it gives you a score and you're able to, to compete with whoever you put into your network and say to my kids, oh, you only got an 85, I'm still at a 95, 96. And, you know, ah, well, I don't speed, you know, it's just one of these learning moments that ended up really teaching me even more so about, okay, what is driving responsibly and what does it mean to really drive the speed limit and 
Now, I won't tell you that I'm someone that drives a speed limit because you'll get behind me and start beeping like a, a madman, but I do hear a lot of beeps when I drive. Them. <laughs> You're from the East Coast. That's, a, that's understandable. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think what you point to is really key because, you know, whether I, I wish we had a, an app like that for other areas of our lives. What you're basically yeah. pointing to is that we have to be really mindful about how our own behaviors, how our own, our own behaviors aligning with the values. Usually we, we can't always tell, right? We're not always, we're not, if we're not in tune with that inner conversation, like you said, we can't always tell. So it sounds like finding people outside who are trusting, trusting, trustworthy, mm -hmm that you can reflect back to you, hey, this is how your behavior is influencing or impacting you know, this environment. It looks right. like the, the tools, in this case, an, is an app for driving that you can use with your children and have a conversation about their driving behaviors. But I think what you point to also as a leader, it's important to surround ourselves as leaders with people who are able to also reflect back how our behavior is impacting the community or the, the organization the team that, that we belong to, and letting that also be our guide on how we might need to shift down or shift up. Yeah, you know, is a, like we were talking a little bit earlier about um, it's our responsibility, right? Um, things that we've heard, but we have to invest in what we know is right and how do we, how do, we do the things that we know we should do, right? We, you have to invest in it. You have to invest yourself to it. You have to be driven to follow that higher principle you know is right. And and we all know that there's there's nobody in the world that we can control. You know, we might have power or authority, but that's at the end a person's going to make their own decision about what they're doing do and what they won't do. You know, so it's the circle of influence, right? It's what can you control in life? It's, it's you. You know, you can't control anything else. And if you want to influence something outside of your circle of influence, then, man, you really need to pound on the inner walls of your own and pound hard. Pound so hard. You know, it's got to resonate in years when you go to bed at night and you say, cheese and crackers, you know, I let myself down because – I, I, I didn't address that when I should have. Mm. Like coming out of the restroom and I, as I, or I was going into the restroom and as I was opening the door, someone was coming out and I wasn't really paying attention and I saw that the stall door was swinging and I didn't hear the toilet or the hand roll dispenser or the, or the water turn off. And here's a team member that just walked out of the restroom and clearly he didn't wash his hands. And I wasn't engaged enough at the point in time to see it, to have a coaching moment, never mind a serious uh, safety issue. And I, that, that happened to me just yesterday. Uh, at the bed last night, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, yeah. you missed it. You know, you should have been more focused at the time because after I kind of put it all together and I unplugged from whatever I was thinking about it, I was like, wait a minute, there's nobody else in here that door wasn't swinging because someone was going in. It was swinging because that guy just came out and I didn't then go seek him down and, uh, and talk to him about it. And, and that's, so those are the types of things that, that I constantly look at is what, what, 
I do? What should I do? What do I need to do uh, to, to be better? And, and where do I miss it? Phenomenal. Jonathan, thank you so much. I just want to acknowledge a couple things. One is that your, your spark, right, your desire and your commitment to keeping your own spark alive is what helps spark other people. And I know you're one of those people in my circle. I don't know. Well, definitely. So you're a, a, an influencer in my life because you're the per, you know, one of those people that I always go to. And it's been years now since we've worked together. But I have no doubt that if I pick up the phone and say, hey, Jonathan, this is what's happening, whether that's professional or personal, that you know how to help me re-spark myself. So, wow. so appreciate that about you. And I'm sure that anyone that works with you has the opportunity to do the same. So this is a phenomenal conversation. I really, really enjoy some of the insights that you shared with us about your own journey, but then also how leaders really challenge themselves to start looking inward more and then helping use that measuring stick to determine what behaviors they can use in the future. Any, any final words for our, our leaders listening out there? No, but again, thank you. That's it's very kind and it means so much to me, Valerie. Um, not just because of our friendship, but more importantly, the regard I have for you and what I know you do and how you affect people's lives. So to think that I've been a, 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 even a small part of it is, it's really humbling. Um, you know, I, you know the, I, I just can't emphasize enough about finding what you love to do and, and do it and, and do it passionately and, and, and love what you do. But at the end of the day, there's nobody that you can control except for yourself. And, and be careful on, on what you're trying to influence um, because you want to make sure you're, you're not fooling yourself by manipulating someone for your own well-being. At the end of the day, we're trying to achieve something. And if we can't achieve it together um, because I, we think we can achieve it only by ourselves, then we're setting ourselves up for absolute failure. Heard it here, folks. <laughs> Wisdom with the chaplow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jonathan. And you know, I'll be I'll be highlighting over the next couple of months other people who have been high influencers in my life as well. You know, I've been so fortunate to have bosses like you, you know, that have not only challenged me but helped me grow some of you know, did I had the opportunity to do my best work with as a result of really being open to their guidance and leadership. So we look forward to, to sharing that with you guys over the next few months. Next week, you know, you talk about passion, Jonathan, and I, I met a person recently. Um, her name is Dr. I. Addison Zhang. She is on a mission to disrupt education and learning, and you know me in disruption. I love it. <laughs> and, and she's doing it. She's trying to build a classroom without walls. And I'm really interested in hearing how she decided that this is a passion project for her and how she's going about it. So I think there's, there's an opportunity for us to disrupt a lot of things in this world. And to your point, Jonathan, when we get clear on what we're passionate about, it'll create some disruption for sure. For yes. and, and, that's, and that's perfectly fine. And sometimes it's so needed. Looking forward to next week on August 6th, having this conversation with Dr. I. Please join us then. In the meantime, please continue to stay conscious, connected, and creative. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Jonathan, thank you again. Thank you.
You're the best. Bye.